Welcome to Library Land Loves, a podcast from OLA. We believe that libraries are full of the most passionate people on the planet. People who are passionate about their careers, about the people they're serving, and the programs they're running. And that passion doesn't end there. Be it the coffee they're drinking or the pop culture they're consuming, Library Land loves a lot. Today on Library Land Loves, I get to chat with one of my favorites from Library Land, Miss Maureen Berry. Maureen retired last week as a CEO from the Burlington Public Library after being with that system for more than 30 years. She's worked tirelessly with OLA as well in various capacities, and she's really just one of the best people. If you get to work with her, you'll know what I mean. She's a force for energy, for good, and you can feel that in her community, in her library, and with her staff. I went out to speak with Maureen a few weeks ago in her beautiful office at the Burlington Central Branch, and honestly, I could have chatted with her for hours. We got to talking about her career highlights, and then I kept picking her brain on what I'm going to call CEO 101, or what does it take to be a successful library CEO? She chatted really openly about working with her library board, and also the most important things that she had to learn when she first got the position as CEO. You know, there are so many management opportunities opening up in Canadian libraries and feeling secure and supported as you make that transition up is a really, really important thing. So I always find it useful to listen to other leaders and find out what they found to be the most important ways to train themselves and to get themselves started in the early days in that role. So I hope you enjoy today's pod. It's going to be a long one, but I promise you it's worth the listen. Hello and welcome to Library Land Loves. Today I am here with Maureen Berry, the Chief Executive Officer of the Burlington Public Library. For how much longer? Four more days. Four more days. We're catching her just just in the nick of time uh, before she retires. And Maureen has been a huge part of the history of the Ontario Library Association. Uh, she has been a planner. You have been on several committees. You have presented several times. I know mm-hmm. I personally have dragged you in to present <laughs> numerous times recently. And I know on behalf of OLA, we're very sad to see you go, but we're very excited for the adventures you're about to embark on. And uh, and as Sheila always likes to say, don't think that because you're retiring, you're out of our grasp. So I've heard that. Sheila's already had that conversation with me. <laughs> yes, She's done her due diligence. She has. So thank you for joining us today, Maureen. Well, thank you for coming all the way out to Burlington through the horrible traffic uh, to join me here overlooking our Rose Garden at Central Park. Life is hard in Burlington. It's a lovely day. Yes. Um, So Maureen, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do all day? Well, what I do all day is I uh, I hang out at the library, and I've been doing that for 34 years. Uh, what I try to do, I actually come in a little bit late. I usually come in about 10, not about 9, because then I hang out in the library a little bit later. I love to be in the library when the public is here. I know there are a lot of staff who like to show up at 7 o'clock in the morning or 6.30 in the morning and get things done before people walk in. I don't like to be in a library when there aren't members of the public here. Um, and I like to overlap shifts so that I can connect with people and, and say hi and, and how things are doing. So um, obviously a lot of meetings and I, I do head out. I'm out a lot meeting with people from the city, mm-hmm. Economic Development Corporation, different uh, government people and, and community partners. But for the most part, I'm, I'm in the library. Cool. So are you mostly in Central or do you find yourself going out to other branches as well? 
I'm at Central for the most part, but we do, we deliberately, for example, schedule our senior management meetings to rotate out and go to all of our locations at least a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. And we do the same thing with our board meetings. We rotate them around the system. So, uh, and then on weekends, if I'm just driving by, I won't drive by. I'll slam on the brakes and I'll go in and, mm-hmm. and visit everybody. That's great. All the staff are like, oh, Maureen's here. Oh, quick. no, Maureen's here. What's wrong? <laughs> Um, and so tell us a bit about what we're talking about today. What's your top five? Today, I think we're going to talk about my top five career highlights. And I really find it hard to believe that I'm in a position to be able to say that. But I guess with just a few more days left, I guess I can reflect on that. It's now or never, really. True. It's true. And as I get older, too, my memory fades, so I might not remember them. So it'll be nice that we're recording this for posterity's sake. So this is uh, the top five highlights can you give us a sense of from when to when? Like, when do you consider your career having started? Well, my career started uh, in 1980-ish, early, mm-hmm. um, at the Collingwood Public Library when I was uh, the children's librarian there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So that's ish where I will start. Okay. I'm, I'll get into the trajectory later, but let's, sure. why don't we just go through? The, and is it a hierarchical list? Are you, it is, is one like the one with a bang? One is number one. Okay. All right. So Absolutely. let's start at number five. Number five is kind of a double number five. First of all, when I worked at the Collingwood Public Library, I was the first professional librarian ever hired by the Collingwood Public Library. I was the only full-time employee, and the my boss was a part-time librarian who had a certificate A in librarianship. So she often deferred to me, and I was this brand new librarian. But my boss, who was the chief librarian, deferred to me. It was uh, it was a wonderful learning experience, and I had a, a blast in Collingwood. Uh, the second part of double number five is that I got to work with my aunt Eleanor, who was my inspiration to become a librarian. She was the reference librarian here at Burlington Public Library in charge of the revered reference collection and headed up that team of amazing reference librarians when I came to work in the children's department. And I ended up one year as children's librarian here and then became manager. So she and I were on the management team together for a few years. She really was the person who inspired me to become a librarian. She was a part of every single degree that my brothers and sisters and I have achieved or my all of my cousins because when we got stuck at homework or, or even a major project in university, of course, we would go to our li- librarian aunt. Yeah. And um, yeah, she was a huge inspiration and she's the reason why I'm a librarian. So it was awesome. such an amazing joy to be able to work with her. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. Number four. Number four. Is, is an interesting one and it happened just a couple of years ago and it was at the opening of the Vaughn Civic Center Library and it's not because you were there Michelle and it was, that we, it was great cake it was great cake and I, I'm sorry I don't have cake for you here today <laughs> um, but what happened when I, I went to that because it's my good friend Margie Singleton who's the CEO when I arrived there immediately the staff of the branch said oh, you're Maureen Berry aren't you stay right there don't move don't move we need to bring Jennifer to come and see you so Jennifer Stephen is an area manager at the Vaughn Libraries and the new Civic Center Libraries, one of her libraries. What she told the staff that day as they were getting ready for the opening is, my children's librarian's coming, my children's librarian's coming. Because she and her brother Robert, who is a principal with the National Ballet, used to come to my toddler story time way back in the day with their mom and I just ran into their mom last night at an all candidates meeting and she gave me a big hug and said don't you forget that you inspired so many people to become librarians so that was the highlight of my year was for someone to say my children's librarians coming my children's librarians coming 
I, I really hardly paid any attention to the beautiful library because I was writing on a high from that comment. I Yeah, that would be my... No, I can't even imagine. That would be it was, number one for me. That's it amazing. was amazing. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. And so did she get a photo with you and like bestow some kind of gift upon you? or I'm still waiting. I'm guessing oh, maybe okay. it's still in shipping. Right. Yeah. The, the cake. The, the cake. cake. It could be. There's something. She still has a few days left. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number three. Number three um, is a difficult one. It, it was um, it was the fact that I was part of a management team that made a very difficult decision that ended up being very unpopular in our community. And it was a difficult decision to make. It was a difficult decision to uphold. And that was when we decided to keep a book in our collection that um, one member, one family in our, our community was really against us having because of the way it depicted their daughter's um, murder. Um, it was a very, very difficult time, and it wasn't an easy decision for us to keep the book in our collection, and other libraries decided to remove it. Um, and But the enormous impact of, on staff and the opportunity to talk about intellectual freedom and what intellectual freedom is and that it isn't an easy decision to make when uh, people were coming to the circulation desks and asking for pairs of scissors so that they could cut their library card in half and throw it into the face of, of circulation desk staff members. So being a manager at that time and supporting the decision to keep the book in the collection, uh, working with the board so that they in turn also supported our decision, but more importantly working with frontline staff. The you know, some of the lower paid staff in the in the system were the ones who were dealing with the brunt of the impact of that decision. Mm -hmm. But the power of also being able to really have amazing conversations about what intellectual freedom means mm -hmm. and what it means to uphold intellectual freedom, mm -hmm. even in the face of uh, widespread community outcry. Um, I remember, I can still remember the emotions of those meetings and uh, where the decisions were made and where the media was at our board meetings. But more often, I recall the conversations that I had with frontline staff who had pressure from their preachers and ministers and neighbors to leave the library and not be part of our organization and um, how proud they were that we were able to uphold that but I will say intellectual freedom it, it's not it's not it it's an important value and it's a core value and it isn't always easy to uphold mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm enormously proud of what how we were able to handle that circumstance I mean growing up in this community I know when this happened and just how on edge everyone was so to be able to make that decision and then have all the staff stand by it I mean yeah I can't imagine it must have been really really challenging so it, it was but it is one of those feet those highlights of your career that still everybody talks about everybody still talks about when that happened in Burlington and the decision exactly. with pride that's how we reflect on it now I think exactly well we, we're not going to learn in history, it's that old saying, you know, we're not going to uh, learn if we, we're going to repeat history if we don't um, acknowledge it and learn about it. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to repeat the ugly parts of our history. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that was a heavy number three. Yeah, I know. Number two. Number two, number two is lighter. <laughs> yes, I, I've been so lucky that I've been involved in five building projects here mm -hmm. in Burlington. And the first one as you know, as project manager was the very first branch that we built in Northeast Burlington. And I remember, you know, walking through the fields before we even put a shovel in the ground and the little field mice running away from us. It was almost like a Disney thing, you know, but they, you know, they didn't turn into butterflies and, and put ribbons in our hair. They weren't or sewing any, dresses. No, they weren't. They weren't. But, um, 
But I remember when we constructed, it was in 1996 that we opened that branch. And again, construction must have been different. We didn't have very good hoarding around that construction site. And I, I remember um, after when we were ready, almost ready to open, and the books had, were just put on the shelf. The doors were, it was kind of loose about who could get into the building. And these two little girls, about 10 years old, and I was the only one in the branch at the time. And they didn't see me, but they came in, they just strolled in there as though they owned the place. And the one little girl, she looked around and she said to her friend, she said, what I'm going to do is read every book in my library, and this is my library. And I've always reflected on that anytime I've been involved in the opening of the other branches and, and renovations we've been able to do. And, and part of my comments whenever I'm uh, part of a, the opening ceremony is to welcome people to what they're going to call my library and it's an incredibly powerful thing to know that when you're making decisions about a space or about um, furniture mm -hmm. or you know where the windows are going to point mm -hmm. or the color of a space that you're creating for generations of people a space that they are going to call my library and that's a very powerful thing to do mm -hmm. and it's uh it's such an intimate thing too because for everyone their library is a very different place for them and it's it's here for them for a very different reason so i will always remember those two little girls and their goal i will read every book in this library it's my library and i thought why are we calling it tansley woods you know we should just call it my library right. because that's <laughs> what people are calling it that's awesome all right that brings us to number one. Number one, cue the drums. Okay. Um, number one has been the opportunity that I've had as CEO to be able to create opportunities. So it's funny. It's an opportunity as CEO to create opportunities. One of the things I was asked when I became, uh, was going in the running for CEO is what I wanted my legacy to be. So it's like, let's start at the end. And I thought that was a, a very good question. Mm -hmm. And I had thought about it too. And I knew that I wanted to be able, and I hope I did this, create opportunities for people to grow and to stretch. And in the course of, of being CEO, I've, I've changed the way we do our strategic plan. We have a staff-led strategic planning process. And in the very first time, we've done this in two cycles now. The first time, I, I we literally just picked people from across the system to be on the team. There was a, a facility staff member who had involved in cleaning and delivery. There was a part-time clerk on the circulation desk. There were librarians and there were, you know, managers. And it was about seven people. They call themselves the Strat Pack. Very cool. And... Um, we gave them some guidance. They had a mentor group of senior managers who, who mentored them, but they did the environmental scan. They did the community consultation. They decided to do YouTube videos to keep people informed of what was going on. And they did presentations to the board. They did um, a presentation at Superconference on it. And I still get calls from people who saw that presentation at Superconference. So for me, my career highlight was getting texts from that team from the Metro Toronto Convention Center saying we got it we're here look here we are and they and they sent me pictures of them with their name badges on with a speaker ribbon and then look at the crowd and they show text me pictures of the people in the presentation and then later we're done and we think it went okay <laughs> and when I saw the pride that they have and I've heard I continue to hear from some of the people on that team about the difference that it made not only professionally and in their career for them but also personally in their ability mm -hmm. they realized that they there were things that they'd never thought of doing that maybe scared them to start with but now they and some people have turned parts of their other parts of their lives around because of that opportunity. Um, 
in addition to that, we've created a, a Dragon's Den for staff, which I've always wanted to do. We stole the idea from um, Calgary Public Library. <laughs> and, you know, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So we flattered the Calgary Public Library. Absolutely. And I know now they that... They should be honored. They should be. And I'll talk to Bill Potasic about that, even though it was his predecessor that did it. But um, we, I know we can't call it Dragon's Den, but we do still. And we're going to change the name. I, I don't want to be pursued by a TV show for, you know, charges in my retirement um, but the ideas that staff had and they present them in front of the whole staff at general at our staff development day and we have a dragon team from staff who will say how does that align with our strategic plan what are the ongoing operating expenses did you think about what the implications might be for service models and where are there any policies that need to be changed as a result of your project so as a result of that I mean we have our makerspace uh, idea wow. work studio we have a seed library we have an aquaponics demonstra um, model in our front foyer at central library mm -hmm. in partnership with an entrepreneur from the master innovation center um, and the other ideas that that staff have pitched we've tried to implement them just you know outside of that program yeah. but it's giving people a forum to propose and implement their ideas because it's not just at the senior management table or the management table where those things happen. It happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I've been trying to do is give people that opportunity to be a part of that. And I mean, it's not even just giving them the opportunity to say it. You've obviously created a culture where management can then run with those ideas, right? Exactly. Like those ideas are actually being implemented, which exactly. is amazing. It is. It, it really is. Well, we were very fortunate. A, a board, a couple of board terms ago, one of our board chairs asked that we put into our, our uh, capital budget projections $50,000 a year for strategic initiatives. So normally in a capital budget, you need to say exactly how yeah. every penny is going to be spent. This is a very generic wording, and it says this is a, a, a pot of money that we, can be that we can use to implement ideas and innovation. And... It had to, every once in a while, we get a little pushback at city council, but they've seen the results of it. They've been invited mm -hmm. to the opening of the maker space. They, they see the impact and they're hearing from their constituents that it's a good thing that's being, that's happening with that money. Mm -hmm. So a term that I've used often is measured edginess. That when we're using taxpayers' dollars and we want to be innovative and we want to be creative, but we have to have a little bit of measure to it because it is the taxpayers' dollar. Right. So we can't create something that um, is going to cost tens of thousands of dollars that no one, three people might use. Right. We we do have to think that through. Bring an inflatable rubber rubber duck to the Burlington Harbor and then let it sit there for. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. We're not going to do that. Right. You know, you alluded a little bit to your board. Yes. You talked a lot about your staff. And I think one of the things that, especially outside of public libraries, people right. aren't really aware of the relationship that CEOs have with their boards or mm -hmm. what what that entails or the challenges within. Mm -hmm. um, so can you just speak a little bit to what it's been like to work with a public library board? It's been really interesting. And it was a part of the job of being a CEO that was a little... Uh, uh, unknown for me, even though I had I'd been attending board meetings for many years as a manager, I really wasn't certain about the the relationship between a CEO and a board. Mm -hmm. But I think I, I know I've been very lucky. When I first became CEO, the board that selected me said in the very first meeting that um, here's what they promised me, and they had a long list of that. You know, they would promised me that they would help fund if I wanted an executive coach, that they would, you know, fund any additional training that I wanted to get. And then they asked me what I needed from them. Mm -hmm. And we, we actually spent a, 
uh, two days and a retreat, just the senior management team and the board to, when I first became CEO, to learn about one another and to learn about what our commitments were to one another and what our roles were and to reconfirm what our roles were. And it was uh, it was a really an interesting time. I remember the board chair at the time, she said to me, she just turned to me and she said in the middle of that retreat, she said, I want you to have balls. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, see what we can do about that. So I knew what it meant because, you know, I'm I'm an introvert. I'm not somebody who is a, an extrovert. So I knew I know when I need to be an extrovert mm-hmm. and I can turn that on. Mm-hmm. So I've had um I've had really great fortune with the with the board that we've had. It it's um I also get to sit in on the interviews for board Oh. members at the beginning of board terms and it's interesting what motivates people to be uh-huh. a board member sometimes it's newcomers to the community who want to give back sometimes it's people immediately and they want to get to know people in the community sometimes it's people who've written a few books and they want to get them on the shelf and they figure if they go for the library board maybe we'll put their books on the shelf oh my God. um and it's often you know a family history but um it, it's an interesting experience what i find though is how passionate and how quickly passionate they become about libraries. They always come with a very impactful library story about the difference the library made Mm -hmm. in their lives. Mm -hmm. And then as they learn more about what the library does, even, of course, most people who apply for the library board, they know a library, they think they do. And then as soon as we start orientation, they'll say, I didn't know you had access to that type of archival material. I didn't know you had movies on DVD. I didn't know you had streaming TV shows. I didn't know about 3D printers. And then they become great advocates for the library. Mm-hmm, so we've been very fortunate too that our board feel takes very seriously that role of advocacy. Mm-hmm. And we actually have a separate board advocacy committee that wow. right now is, I was at an all candidates meeting last night and a few of our committee, community representatives on that committee were there and were primed to ask questions. Unfortunately, the library question didn't get asked, wow. but, um, but the library board, it, they, it, I think what they're here too to do is to ask the right questions. Uh, I know some people, at some of our senior team can sometimes get a little frustrated if they've worked uh, hard on a, on a report and all they get is a series of questions. But that's the role of the board is to ask questions. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's difficult to keep board out, out of operations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they ask a question, say, I've got a great idea for a program. Um, but I've been really lucky that the board chairs that I've had have been ready to step in and say, you know what, you're you're stepping over the line here. Right. This isn't governance any longer. You're getting into operations. Mm-hmm. That's great. You spoke a little bit about um, when the board hired you and mentioned how supportive they mm-hmm. were of any training that you wanted to mm-hmm. uh, to take on and executive coaches and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What was the most important thing when you first became CEO that you needed to learn or that you had to teach yourself? But the most important thing I think right off the top was to redefine the relationships with people who had been my peers. Oh. And uh, I, I'd, I'd been in that position a few other times, you know, when I'd been moved from manager to director and suddenly people who were not only my peers, but in one case, my mentor, who mm-hmm. now was somebody who reported to me. Um, and that was something that I really focused on. So I did have a, a little bit of a 90 day plan when I first came in and having those conversations with the people who were the, my direct reports and about what, uh, very similar to what the board did. Here, here's what you can expect from me and, and what do you need f- from me? And I didn't just have one conversation. It was repeated conversations every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. And um, 
and it, it's been interesting because there's been you know there have been retirements from the senior team and and right now I refer to it as the dream team it really is I've worked with amazing people in senior management but it was redefining those relationships because you know we're not peers any longer and and I now have that responsibility to mm-hmm. maybe override something that that may be a passion of yours right. not that I've done that but um, but just to set up that potential scenario right. The first time I met you mm-hmm. was at Super Conference. You okay. were with Anne Murphy. Oh, Anne Murphy, yes. From Mississauga Public Library at the time. And you were both in uh, the Wednesday night party, which at the time I actually think was the Friday night party, <laughs> giving out glow rings yes. to people answering trivia questions. And let me tell you, you were a hard sell. <laughs> you were not just giving those rings away to anybody. If I, you know. <laughs> You took your job very seriously. There are rules. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) But what I also really admire, at at the time I admired it, and I've admired it since kind of from afar, is the relationship that you have with other CEOs in the province, other people in membership teams in different libraries. I mean, is that something that is intentional or is that where you've just kind of like, have they been your peers coming along and you've Mm -hmm. stayed connected? How does that happen? Well, it really, and I've been trying to think this through too for my retirement speech, but you're right. There are things that, that uh, relationships and, and forever friendships that I've created in the profession. And Anne Murphy is a great example. I mean, she and I, were, when we were children's librarians, worked on a bibliography uh, called On Beyond Zebra. No, and we also worked on conferences. We actually held two conferences. Yeah. There were I, five or six of us. We held this conference called On Beyond Zebra. And we invited Will Manley, and we invited Joni Bodart, and they all came, and we had it in Hamilton. We did it two years in a uh, not two years in a row, but we did it twice, and it was very ambitious. And I thought, in retrospect, I think, what were we thinking? <laughs> but I, I do think it set it us set us up well for being members of the OLA and, and involvement with the OLA Super Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of the fun that we had with OLA Super Conference, when Adrian Clarkson was Governor General and came as a keynote speaker. It was a special anniversary of the conference of the, yeah. and I can't remember what, but it's I had twenty the, maybe or. It, no, it was a hundred something. Oh yes, it was of the, the association. Of the association. Yes. And I pitched the idea of, of uh, the organizers wearing top hats and tails, and it flew. And people and I, I remember going to the tuxedo shop in Mapleview Mall with all these male bridal parties there for fittings. But I was there with my colleague Sonia Lewis, and we were there for fittings too. But it was so great to have something that we, all you had to do was change your shirt for conference. And uh, yeah. we had clean shirts for the next day. But I remember when Adrian Clarkson came into the building and we were all, we just lined up with our top hats and tails. And so being able to do fun things like that. But um, I when I had attended my last uh, Kulk meeting in Regina a couple of weeks ago, and a few words were spoken about, you know, me because I was retiring and I had been on the executive for a number of years and about that connection and that, that networking. And the comments that I made to the group was that, you know, often people will say that the it's lonely at the top, that when you're a CEO, oh man, you know, that's where all the trouble goes to you and you're all alone and mm-hmm. trying to fix it. And I said, nothing could be further from the truth, really, because there's something about CEOs. The minute that I was appointed CEO, I started to get emails from CEOs about congratulations, anytime you need, call me. And it wasn't just congratulations. Without exception, it was, I'm happy to talk to you about anything. And I've reached out to those colleagues over and over again, and they've reached out 
to all we've all reached out to one another when horrible things happen and you're going oh my goodness how am I going to handle this whether or not somebody's ever had that experience before they're going to reach out and advise or help or say here's what worked for us um, or whatever you do make sure you get your communications plan mm -hmm. nailed down before you go out to the public and it's it's been extraordinary it's it's such an amazing collegiality and so reliable and so dependable that it was uh, it really does make the role of CEO much easier than you might think from afar and I, I think we need to be sharing that more with people because I shared that at the Coke meeting there were a few people who were going for other CEO roles and they, they came over to me and said how encouraged they were to hear that there that 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 network is there mm -hmm. and sometimes you reach out for it sometimes we reach out for one another before you even think of calling I just read the news article about that you know your your room controversy here's some things that I can uh, kind of kind of advise you on so that power of that network, whether you meet somebody at conference, whether you meet somebody through a, a committee that you work on or through a listserv, um, it, it's very, very powerful. And it really, it's a huge contributing factor to the success, I would say, of, of most, if not all CEOs mm -hmm. in, in public libraries. And I'd go even further just to say that really exemplifies library land. It I does. I mean, we have so many, uh, even just myself in associations, you know, partnering with other associations and ALA and all of the provincial associations. I mean, everyone is so willing to share the lessons they've learned, the challenges they're going through, the successes they've had, and how you can mimic that yourself. Exactly. And it's exactly. an extraordinary industry, I think, for that kind of uh, relationship building to happen and for that kind of information to be shared. Very much so, mm -hmm. very much so. Well, it's interesting, when we do library tours for little school classes, what the bottom line message is that library is about sharing. Mm -hmm. And I remember that from doing uh, library school tours, tours here. And I think that's really what it's all about right through the whole profession, regardless of what your role is. It's about sharing. Mm -hmm. There is competition, absolutely, to be the first one to do something, to lend Wi-Fi or to, you know, to be the first one to lend musical instruments. There's that kind of, oh, mm -hmm. gee, they thought of it first. <laughs> but boy, look how quickly we flatter our colleagues by repeating and doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, look but at you, Dragon's them. Den. That's right. Bring it, <laughs> Dragon's Den. Thank you, Calgary Public Library. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so the great... Miss Lita Berry is coming in as yes. the new CEO of Burlington yes. Public Library. Uh, are you going to do like the presidential thing and leave a note in the drawer or do you have a word of wisdom for her upon her first day? My predecessor said that this was the best job in the world. And I've, as soon as I heard that Lita got the job, I emailed her and I said, you know you've got the best job in the world, don't you, Lita? And I am so thrilled that she's got this position. And But I do have to say, she does spell her na last name incorrectly. Right, you're you know, right. I think it will be easy for people because it's, you know, Maureen Berry and now Lita Berry. And it's she just doesn't spell her last name right, right. but that's okay. But Lita, I've known Lita for many, many years and I have high, high, high regard for her. And I just, I know she's going to love it here. It's an amazing place to work. It certainly is. And you've done such a great job. You should be really happy and proud, I think, of your legacy. And um, like I said, we're not letting you out of our sights. So <laughs> let the legacy continue. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your time today, Maureen. And uh, I will see you at your retirement party. Oh, absolutely. On, on the dance floor? On the dance floor, With absolutely. Some cake. With some cake. Excellent. Thank you very much, Michelle. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you.